0: At Bonavista Baptist Church, we have a mission, don't we? And we've even put it into words. We've even put it on our website. We've even asked you all to memorize it. Have you? (laughs) Maybe not. So we're gonna put it on the screen again. Our stated mission is this, and it is to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission. Sit with that just for a moment. If we have the screen coming up there, just sit with those words for a moment. Uh, This mission that we've agreed to together, to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We've done a lot of things, and we continue to do a lot of things together. We have a lot of programs, don't we? Uh, The youth programming just kicked off on Friday, and we were in Palm Springs, but we were watching to see who would win the Battle of Bonavista. It was the other church, unfortunately. We have to let them win once in a while to keep it interesting, right, Eric? So, but we, we run a lot of programs here, don't we? But here's the key. Our mission is not to run programs. We also care for people here. We care for a lot of people. We have people coming in uh, all throughout the week in the office looking for help, whether it's financial help or spiritual help or just practical help in various ways. And we do that as a congregation, as a staff, a volunteer. But here's, here's the weird thing. Our, our purpose is not to be a social service agency. We're not that. We also do a lot of other things. Um, We run social events. Today, we're going to have lunch today. Larry's famous gourmet hot dogs. I think because it includes onions, I'm not sure what makes them gourmet, but we're going to enjoy lunch together today. It's a social event and we love to do things together. We love to be together, but our purpose isn't really to run social events. All those things are good. All those things are wonderful. But it's not our primary mission here at the church. The primary mission, the reason that we exist is this, to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we have to hold on to. That's what we have to focus on. So when we're eating our gourmet hot dogs, when we're running uh, battle for Bonavista, when we're helping people out that need help, all of that needs to move together in the same direction. And the direction is to make disciples of of Jesus, and we don't do this, thankfully, through some sort of conquest evangelism. Anybody been involved in conquest evangelism before? Um, You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. I've been there, I've done that. Uh, I've done it in places around the world. I've been involved in very aggressive forms of winning souls to Jesus. And thankfully, the language that we've chosen in our mission statement is very important. What's the language? It's a language of invitation. It's the language of encouragement. Why do we want people to become followers of Jesus? Why? Shouldn't we just leave people as they are? Why do we want people to become followers of Jesus? Why is that our mission here? Because we believe that Jesus changes everything. If we don't believe that, then this mission makes no sense whatsoever. We believe that Jesus is actually the way the truth and the life we believe that if we were to honestly follow the way of jesus our lives would be better our families' lives would be better and this world would be a better place we believe that if we were to honestly live out the life of jesus that our lives would be better our neighborhoods would be better our world would be a better place. We, we believe that if we were to understand and believe and live out the truth of Jesus, that our world would be a better place. Do you get the idea? So we do this because we believe that Jesus makes everything better, different. He changes everything. His death and his resurrection completely change the way we think about the world, about our life, about death, all those things. And if we can get a hold of that, then we understand the mission. And once we understand that every part of what we do is moving toward that mission, then we get it as a church. We understand it. I think in terms of understanding the mission, once we understand that every line in the general budget is actually a missions budget, then we understand that we're on mission together. Every single line is moving toward that mission. So we all need to be focused on the mission, whether we're making hot dogs today or coffee or wiping snotty-nosed kids' noses, Uh, whether we're preaching a sermon or playing the drums, which was awesome again today, Jen. Whatever we're doing, we do for the glory of God, but we also do as part of the mission together. And that can be a very exciting thing to be part of. I've mentioned this before, but a number of years ago, a couple of years ago now, our daughter Triona got us hooked on Formula One racing. We did it because we wanted to be close to our daughter. That's what you do when you have kids, right? But then Christy and I kind of got sucked into this whole crazy, ridiculous world of Formula One racing. And so we follow Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen. Now don't, don't disagree with me. If you you can have a conversation after, but I came across this video actually literally this morning and I thought I'd show it to you right now. And it's about Red Bull Racing and Formula One. Let's roll the clip. you get the point of the clip? That guy's not even the driver. That guy has one job, to change one tire. That's the level of commitment he has. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. He probably gets paid a ridiculous amount of money for it too, but here's my point. He understands the mission. He understands his mission. His purpose, his part, is not to change a tire. His part is to build a championship race car and a championship team. He gets the mission. So his one part, he is fully committed to. He will train hours for to change that one tire. Red Bull Racing has the pit crew record, 1.82 seconds to change four tires. We could use them in the next month or two, couldn't we? Just bring them out to the parking lot and change the tires around. So what are we willing to commit to? What training are we willing to do as part of the mission here? whatever we're doing as part of this congregation in order to see success in the mission together. Well, in order to to accomplish this goal, we've actually agreed to three priorities. And this is just a, a time of the year when we refresh our minds on what those three priorities are. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at what it means to develop a passion for Christ, a heart for people, and a life of service because that's what we've committed to together. That's what we've given ourselves to in order to accomplish the mission. Today, we're going to look at a passion for Christ. I believe that we're not only sports fans here, but the Apostle Paul was a sports fan. I believe that, and we see that in the New Testament. We see that in the the ridiculous number of illustrations he uses from the arena of sports. He watched sports. He watched people in the gymnasiums, he watched races, and it feeds into the illustrations he uses to help us to understand the life of faith. And so today, I'm going to be reading one of those illustrations, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And these are the verses that we've used to speak about developing a passion for Jesus. Listen to what it says, Hebrews chapter 12. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. That's our text for today and how we develop a passion for Jesus. Paul gives us a description, a living description of the life of faith, of what it means to follow Jesus. Could you sort of picture it in your mind? This great stadium full of cheering fans and racers running the race before them. This is the image of what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know what's in your mind when you say, hey, let's follow Jesus together. I don't know if you think of some exciting race, but that was what's on Paul's mind. It's this excitement, this thrill of the race. And it's not a sprint, really. It's a marathon. And he's inviting us to run the race well. And he has encouragement in this passage for how we do that. First of all, he says this. In this race, we have inspiration. And the inspiration are those who have gone before us. Now, I don't think Paul is literally saying that those who have gone before are staring down, watching our every move. We have to be careful with that kind of theology because first of all, it gets a little creepy, right? And I just think there's better things to do in heaven than stare at what we're doing on a daily basis. But I don't think Paul is saying that, not literally looking down from heaven, but he's saying that their faith of the past inspires our faith today. Because the people sitting in the stands around watching the runners are those who have already run the race well. That's what Paul is saying. They're not just random people. These are people who have already run the race before us. And their life of faith encourages us to keep going. I think about uh, the people that we've lost the last couple of years. And I can't mention all the names. How so sad to miss Arlene's funeral service. But we remember her. And we remember Heather, we remember Ray, remember Joan, and Sarah, and Nancy, and Bill. And we could keep going on, couldn't we? We remember various people in our lives. I remember my dad, always, from time to time, is, is the image of his face just pops into my mind, and I remember him. All these people who have gone before, who have run the race well, they encourage us to keep going. We realize that we're here. We are stewards of this church only for a short period of time. And like those who have come before us, we need to steward it well and we need to run the race well in order to hand the mission off to the next generation that's coming behind, right? So for those who are just starting to run the race, those who are new in the faith or perhaps just young, the encouragement is pace yourself. It's a marathon, (laughs) Pace yourself to run for a long time. For those that might be nearing the end, and some people sense that, that they're coming near the end, the encouragement is to finish well. Finish well. But for those of us here today who are just in the middle of it, and sometimes in the middle of the race, what happens? You get a little tired. You get a little weary. You begin to question your sanity. (laughs) You begin to wonder Am I going to be able to make it to the end? This inspiration, this encouragement says, don't give up. Keep going. Keep going forward. So Paul says in this race of faith that we're in, if we're following Jesus, that we have inspiration. Those who have come before us inspire us to continue. But he also warns us that in this race, we have hazards. We have tripping hazards in particular. The sin that so easily entangles, says Paul, Watch out for it because it will trip you up. We just came back from Palm Springs literally last night. You won't know by my face because I showered in sunscreen every morning so that I would not burn and I accomplished that goal. But it's a trip that we had been planning and we tried four times to get down there and finally were able to succeed. On the very last day, we decided to do something a little different. We went racing go-kart racing, and it was a blast, absolute blast. And so we went out go-kart racing, and one of the things that as you arrive there, there's big signs, warning signs. Don't wear any loose clothing, and especially if you have long hair, you need to tie it up. Not a problem for some of us. I was made for this, right? That's, a, that's, that's my whole goal in life. I was uh, streamlined to race. Uh, But the girls had to tie their hair up, and in particular, Triona's hair was pretty long. And the warning signs are pretty graphic on their website. Like they say, your hair could get caught in the engine, and you could be decapitated. I'm like, that happens? I'm not sure how often. I think we would have heard about that in the news. But there's warning. No loose clothing. You got to tie up that stuff, or it will get entangled and could cause you great harm. That's what I kind of think about when I read this instruction of Paul. Don't let... Things tangle you, entangle you, trip you up. It's very difficult to run in a toga. Don't ask me how I know that. It just is. It's very difficult. And so the early racers, when Paul was watching the races, what did they wear? Nada. Nothing. They were naked. And so they would run the race that way. Sometimes they would wear a little loincloth or something like that. But why? Why? because it's hard to run in the toga. (laughs) So you have to kind of strip off everything that tangles you up so you can run the race well. What are those things that tangle us up? Sometimes we think of the big sins, like murder or theft, and you think, well, I'm good there. (laughs) Haven't done that for a while. So I'm I'm good. I'm good to run the race. But I don't think that those are the sins that actually trip us up. I think it's the the so-called little sins. The sins that we can keep within us, you know, that bitterness that we harbor. The envy that we have. The greed that we nurture. Those are things that trip us up. And there's things that trip us up in community, too. Gossiping and slander that we're given to. It will trip us up. We will fall flat on our face if we allow those kind of sins to run rampant throughout the community. And so we have to strip aside everything that would trip us up so we can run the race with confidence. So this is what Paul says. We have inspiration in this race. We also have to watch out for the tripping hazards. Here's a third thing. In this race, we have a special strategy. You always have to have a strategy in a race, right? And Paul's strategy is this, patience. (laughs) Patience. And Paul defines patience in a very specific way. Uh, The Greek word, hupomone, is probably not one that we mention too often, uh, but it's a very particular kind of patience. It's not the patience that just sits down and accepts things. Like if you're waiting for a passport right now, you need patience. We got Triona's passport the day before we traveled to Palm Springs. The day we were waiting for three months plus for that passport to come through, and we got it just the day before. You need a certain kind of patience but that's not the patience that Paul is talking about. It's not the sit down and just resign yourself to the fact that this is going to be difficult. Paul's idea of patience is steadfast endurance. It's a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. That's the kind of steadfast endurance we need if we're going to run this race together. We've needed that. The last couple of years, and we need it still as we go forward. As Eugene Peterson says, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. That's the steadfastness that we need. So those are three things. Here's a fourth one. In this race, we have a focus. And this is the most important part that I want to bring up: to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the most important part of the race to stay focused, keep our eyes on the prize. Paul says that Jesus himself had a focus. That's how he endured the cross. His focus was the joy of being received to the right hand of the Father. In other words, the joy of accomplishing his mission through the cross and resurrection to win victory over sin and death. That joy that was set before him to sit again at the right hand of God the Father, to be given that place of prominence, that place of affirmation. That was the joy that was set before him. And because of that, he endured the cross. What helps you to endure hardship today? Paul says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in order to succeed in this race. We need to know Jesus more. We need to be like him. We need to imitate his life We need to invite others to follow him as the way, the truth, and the life. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in order to succeed. That's how we develop a passion for Christ. I think in this next year, our challenges are not over. Would you agree with that? (laughs) We still are going to face challenges personally. We don't even know what they are yet, but guaranteed, we're going to have personal challenges. As a community of faith in this place, we're going to face corporate challenges. We're going to be having conversations this year that are going to challenge our very ideals and fabric and unity. It's going to be tough. How do we manage it? How do we navigate it? We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We really do. We're also going to have many important decisions to make all throughout this year decisions that are exciting, decisions that are hard. How do we do it? We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're also going to have real opportunities and excitement. How do we celebrate? Because that's often the time we, te- do we take our eyes off Jesus. It's when things are going well. But when things are going well, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, don't we? No matter what it is, we need to keep focused on Jesus. Some people say to me, so what's your vision for this congregation? As if I get to set the whole vision for everyone here. I do think as a senior pastor, I get to articulate the vision that the Spirit is giving to the congregation. And as we listen together, as we discern together, we hear what the Spirit is saying to us. But I would say the vision for the congregation, especially this year, is that prayer would become our default response. Because I think the way that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus is that we pray. That we pray. That we pray when we face difficult news, we pray, that when we have disagreements, that we pray, that when we're discouraged, that we pray, that we face that fork in the road, we pray, that when we see great blessings and opportunities, we pray. that prayer becomes our default response. I don't know for you, but for me, often, prayer is the afterthought. You know, I've got a situation coming and I've got to figure it out and I've got to make some plans and then after I get everything in a row, I say, oh God, would you bless this plan I've just made? We do that though. We do that as leaders. We do that as a congregation. We do it as individuals. What if prayer was our default response to everything that we do? I think that is the way that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We develop a passion for Christ when prayer becomes our default response. So over the next number of weeks, we're going to reintroduce prayer after the service. During COVID, we couldn't get close to each other in person. And so we kind of canceled that opportunity. And if you're fairly new to Bonavista, we used to have prayer time after the service. We're going to introduce that again. We're looking for people who want to be part of that team to pray for others. We're also going to make prayer response a little easier, whether it's online or through the cards or in various creative ways so that people can share as they're comfortable their requests with one another through prayer. We're also going to be starting up again our monthly concerts of prayer as we gather together and have intentional times of prayer. And all that is so that we have a culture that's created that says prayer is our default response. To whatever comes our way. Well, in August 1954, the two fastest mile runners in the world met in Vancouver for a race. Roger Bannister and John Landy. And uh, we've got a picture to show on the screen. It was a historic race in Vancouver. The race was dubbed the Miracle Mile, the race of the century, and the dream race. I think racers today, runners today, would probably blow them out of the water. But back then, this was the race to watch. But as Bannister and Landy turned for the last lap, Landy was ahead, and it looked certain that he was going to win the race. But as he neared the finish line, he wondered where Bannister was. And so in order to check and see how far ahead he was, he looked over his left shoulder and Bannister passed him on the right. That's that hole that was captured in this picture. And then an artist in Vancouver actually made a bronze statue of that exact moment. Landy later said, I would have won the race if I hadn't looked back, if I hadn't taken my eyes off the goal. Landy also said of the sculpture that was made, he said, while Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, I'm probably the only one ever turned into a bronze statue for looking back. (laughs) He admitted that moment, he had it, he had his eye on the prize, and he glanced back, and he lost the race. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus all throughout this year, It's what we need to do to develop a passion for Christ. As we run the race this year, we need to keep looking forward, but especially keep looking to Jesus. Paul says he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's already run the race, and he won. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on him so that we don't grow weary and give up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Our prayer this morning is that you'd help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. So often we look at the situation around us, or we look to our own uh, insights and knowledge and pretend wisdom. We look to our own energy and our own strength. We need to look to Jesus. Thank you for the way that he cared for the stranger, for those who are vulnerable. Help us to look to that and to learn. Thank you for the way that he spoke truth to power and called out hypocrisy. Help us to look to him and to learn. Thank you for the way that he created community and that he spoke the truth about you. Help us to look to that and learn. And thank you for the sacrifice that he made so that we might live. Help us to look to him and to learn today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.